666. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife, but it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on nightmare time. So let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I'm John. I'm Kim. And today we are talking about the Devil's Remakes. We're talking about Rob Zombie's Halloween and Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. 2. That's the echo? <laughs> <laughs> That's what we chose to echo? I didn't want to butt in. You you were so passionate. Yeah, it's remake month here at Nightmare on Film Street, both on the podcast and on the website with the editorial team. And today we are focusing our attention on Rob Zombie's 2007 Halloween and his fall, his surprising left turn follow up, the 2009 contemporary classic Halloween Two. We'll get into it. We'll we'll discuss it. All right, fine. Well, before we get started, Kim, what's keeping you creepy this week? Doing something new this week. I've kind of taken a little step back from movie watching. It's you know New Year, trying to get back into you know like a schedule, a, a timeline, and you know everything's crazy out there. New stuff, old stuff, same stuff, 2020 stuff, into stuff! 2021 stuff. Um, so something fun for Christmas this year. John got me the Die Hard board game, and we finally got the chance to sit down and play it. It's the Nakatomi Heist game. Hell yeah, it is. Super fun. It's kind of a weird sort of setup in that you you can play it with multiple people, like more than two, but we played it with just the two of us. So one person plays as John McClane, and the other plays as Hans Gruber and basically all the thieves. And it's in different stages. So there's act one where you do the first setup and there's act two where you're on a different floor and you're breaking glass. And then act three, you have to like light the roof on fire. I'm doing a terrible job of describing it, but it's a, a really fun game. And we actually played it along while watching the movie, which... Turned out to be pretty accurate time-wise. Oh, yeah. I found, like, we were finishing up Act 1 of the game as those scenes were actually happening in the movie, which was really great for, like, simultaneous play. Like, that was if, a lot of fun. If you're playing with the mood of the music and the soundtrack and the actual film, it works out really well. I don't know how it would fare playing with multiple people. I think the thief role would get a little boring if you had too many, like, hens in the honeypot. But <laughs> for two people, I think it's a great two-person game. I've only played so far as Hans Gruber. Uh, John got the honors of doing John McClane. Uh, I mean, honors. I wanted to beat Hans Gruber. Oh, yeah. How do you turn down being <laughs> Hans Gruber first? And we totally won. Yeah. Yeah, that was a surprising dark turn. John McClane lost. He died. <laughs> did I? I thought, the, I thought the thieves just got away with the money. Yeah, but we killed you also on the way out. Uh, John, where did you get that game? <laughs> I just picked that up at uh, like our local sort of board game shop closer to closer to Christmas. I think it's... Uh, it's, it's, it's actually licensed, so I don't think you're going to have any trouble finding it. Probably at a Barnes and Noble in the States, I would think. I definitely am going to like make it a new Christmassy tradition because I found it was, it was super quick to pick up and it's a really quick play. And also the fact that it's divided into three different stages, you can play a short match. Like you could do just one act and I, I would say one act is like 25 to 30 minutes. So like 
you could play a really short game of it if you only have a little bit of time, which I think is super convenient because sometimes I find that I don't have two hours to commit to a board game. And so a lot of our more intensive board games collect dust in a really sad and depressing way. Oh, what's really sad about that is that you have to relearn how to play. So it's even more than two hours. Yeah. Right? Or if you get like a, well, this doesn't happen now because we don't see anybody. But when you'd have friends over, we're like, oh, we have to play this really cool board game, but I don't know how to teach it to you. So we're going to spend 20 to 25 minutes watching YouTube how to plays. Yeah. The more I look at our board game, uh, our board game shelf, the, the, the more I realize the first thing I'm, I want to do when this pandemic is over is play the thing with people. Because you need like, yes. you need at least three to four people for a good solid game. Yes. Oh, that boy. needs to happen. But yeah, uh, enough board game talk. John, what is keeping you creepy this week? So, my we're we're we've moving into books. So yeah, if you do find Woo! if you do find Die Hard over at a Barnes and Noble, I'm sure if you just turn to your left, uh, go to the fiction section, you'll find Consumed by David Cronenberg. It's a novel that he'd written and published a little while ago. I've actually had this book on my to read shelf for a while. I just have not gotten around to it. Who has time to read when you're too busy being depressed and wallowing in your aloneness? Right? How am I I supposed to schedule around that four-hour block of depression each night? (laughs) I don't got time for books, but I've made time for books. Wallowing myself. Loathing. (laughs) Yes. I can't cancel that. But but yeah, I broke into it. It's everything that you want from a David Cronenberg book. If you are a David Cronenberg fan, this is very much in line with his body horror style stuff. We've got two simultaneous stories that are happening on different areas of the planet it follows like some photojournalists naomi our, our main character is investigating the death of a french philosopher who was killed and partially eaten by her fellow philosopher husband who's now disappeared uh and her boyfriend is investigating sexually transmitted diseases that shouldn't exist but do and also there's lots of talk about technology as sex organs this and... sounds very cronenbergian oh it is so cronenbergian it's so fucking good <laughs> i'm so loving it i'm only like uh, I'm, I'm, I'm about about half halfway through the book i'm really enjoying it um so hopefully by the time we get to the next podcast episode in two weeks i can tell you my full thoughts on on how it wrapped up cool super exciting um not a lot to plug in terms of like events and stuff we are going to be planning a horror trivia night for the fiend club so if you wanted to check out the fiend club now is the time that is at nofspodcast.com slash fiend club we are also shipping out our little merch packs we were... yeah we finally got our membership cards and our tattoos in yeah so we were waiting over the holidays to get some fun stuff to arrive so we could beef up the boxes with some new stuff for the year and we have new membership cards for the fiend club they're super cool like legit plastic can put in your wallet membership cards super excited for those they're better quality than half the membership cards i got at uh, video stores growing i know i'm so pumped but those are going out to fiend club members and we can't wait for you guys to get them we'll we'll be checking out your social media posts and and if you actually try to use them at video stores a few people have been like i'm gonna do it and i'm like if you have a video store near you then by all means you go embarrass yourself i love it (laughs) um but yeah so check out the fiend club if you want to support nightmare on film street and join the the fun host of events and weird stuff that we do over there we did a live stream earlier this month we did the new year's live stream and yeah we'll be doing the little horror trivia coming up that is at nofspodcast.com slash fiend club so getting into the podcast we're talking about two rob zombie movies today which could not have been planned better we did not know this going in but it was two days ago three days ago now rob zombie's fucking birthday Happy belated birthday, Mr. Rob Zombie. Mr. Zombie. I think that's his official name, right? Didn't he change it? 
I don't know. Doesn't matter. That's how we refer to him. <laughs> uh, you know, in terms of like a small side, what's keeping me creepy? Rob Zombie's got a new album coming out in March, and the the single that he dropped, Halloween Night, Triumph of King Freak, is so fucking good. Like, if you like old school Hellbilly Deluxe or Hellbilly Deluxe 2, Rob Zombie, you gotta check this track out. I can't wait for this album. It's gonna rock so fucking hard. But let's get into it. Let's talk about Rob Zombie's reimagining of Mike Myers, the whole fucking Mike Myers mythos. In two of the strangest and and most interesting remakes of the last ten years, I oh, gotta agreed. say. Oh, agreed. Yeah, right. Yeah, we're doing it chronologically, obviously. So let's get into it. Let's talk about Rob Zombie's Halloween. Tonight's brutal murders was described by police as Manson-like in its viciousness. Three people brutally murdered, and a ten-year-old boy being held in custody. said a word for 15 years this summer rob zombie unleashes a unique vision of a legendary tale listen be careful tonight a lot of nutcases come out on halloween Boogeyman real? Why are you so obsessed with the Boogeyman, Tommy? Halloween night, the Boogeyman attacks kids you don't believe. Oh no, Tommy! Boogeyman's gonna get me! I'm gonna cut that mask right off your face. He's come back for his baby sister. To do what? Halloween from 2007, directed by Rob Zombie, written by Rob Zombie, currently sitting at a 6.1 out of 10 on IMDb, 27% on Rotten Tomatoes, 47% Metacritic rating, and a 2.7 out of 5 on Letterboxd. I'm sure it's going to come up eventually, but probably worth noting that we watched the theatrical version. Did we? Yep, not the unrated version, just because that's what's available on Shutter right now, and I couldn't find our DVD. <laughs> we do have it somewhere. Yeah, uh, I, I, you know, fuck it. I brought it up. It's my own fault. Could have just waited until it like naturally came in the conversation. I prefer the theatrical version. Do you remember the uncut version or the unrated version? Okay, so there's there's two different versions. The one we watched was the cop breakout. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other version is the, like, good guy Michael rape save breakout? Yeah, the new janitor that Danny Trejo has been training comes in with some other janitor late at night, rapes a girl in Michael's room, and then he just smashes their heads, lets her run off, and just walks out. I, I will say, feels more Rob Zombie than the theatrical version, and maybe a little more in line with the uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, which obviously we're going to talk about in much more detail very soon, but I much prefer Michael Myers just fucking, like, breaking people's heads on walls and shit. 
Yeah, I can't remember if there's any other significant changes. Those are the only two I remember. But didn't we see the uncut version in the theater when we saw it? Because I don't... I'm very confused. Your memory your memory of this is like always a little fuzzy. And <laughs> and I, I think the only reason it's so stuck in my head is because when we did finally buy it on DVD, I was like, what the fuck is this bullshit? This is a bummer. I don't want to watch this. This is sad and gross and it just makes me feel bad. And on top of that, the DVD copy we have doesn't have like special features. Watch it with the theatrical d- edition. Like we just like, here's what you get. You get rape and that's it. Like, great, that's, oh, that's what I want in a Halloween movie. But you give and you take. So there's there's good guy Michael saves a girl from rape Michael, but then there's also we only ever transfer Michael Myers on Halloween as your alternate. Like, what a bad idea. He is at his full moon strength on Halloween. Even even the security guards think it's a bad idea. They bring it up like, okay, well, pff, whatever, you know, this, this is the job. <laughs> Trick or treat, I guess. <laughs> and it's Bill Mosley. Uh, it's Bill Mosley, and I've, I've completely forgotten the actor's name, but he's... He's also in, like, everything else Rob Zombie's done and Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. That's the one thing I love about Rob Zombie movies is you realize just how much of a fan he is. Oh, yeah. Of horror as a genre. Yeah. you're just like, hey, look, it's Dee Wallace. Yeah, what if Dee Wallace was her mom? What if Sybil Danning was the nurse that Michael kills? What if Udo Kier just shows up for one for, fucking scene? For two minutes. Yeah. And we realize how tall he is compared to Mike, uh, Malcolm McDowell. Malcolm McDowell might just be a short guy. I just learned a huge thing today. I, I could not stop talking about that scene. I was like, I, you know, in my head, the Malcolm McDowell and the Udo Kier action figures are the exact same height. I'm <laughs> the just, action figures. Just like my whole foundation of film knowledge just, you know, had to drop a foot just there. <laughs> I think this movie gets a bad rap. Like I'm a, just a lot of Rob Zombie movies get a bad rap. That's true. <laughs> in the in the same way that M. Night Shyamalan movies get a bad rap, so like I have the natural instinct to want to defend them, even though there are definitely some things about this movie that I don't know, bones, total bones to pick. But sure, I do actually really enjoy the setup of this movie. Oh, yeah. The entire first half, and, and that's the thing I expected to be the biggest contention point. Like, when you put it on paper, like, the origin story of Michael Myers, you're like, I don't, I don't know about really this. want that. But it's good. But it is good. It's real good. And it's especially when he kills that fucking bully. Who, boom, another kind of cameo. Not like it's like Rob Zombie's like, ooh, we gotta get that kid from Spy Kids in here. But like, <laughs> I just mean like every, every every role is like, how about if we just gave it to somebody everybody knew? Was he a big kid then? or I, I remember being surprised when I saw it because as far as I knew, I'd only ever seen him in Spy Kids. Okay. And now he's kind of been in a, a, a handful of other things. I know technically that's like a Robert Rodriguez film and it's canon, but a lot of us did not watch Spy Kids, John. <laughs> Okay, you know, like, I had a younger sister, and she was nuts about it. I got to completely Did avoid- Did you also watch Shark Boy? I got to completely <laughs> avoid the Shark Boy Lava Girl situation, which was nice. Real nice. That's so funny. But no, nobody in my family wanted to watch Desperado. We could only watch Spy Kids. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, you know, the bully kill, it, it is a little upsetting. Like Super upsetting. No, in the terms that I'm just like, oh, oh. Judith has to be the first one he kills because I have this, why do I have this, like, Halloween elitism? You have to drop your Halloween elitism at the door, I think. Oh, yeah. In order to board this this train. Yeah. Because I was like, why is he killing people? He's not supposed to kill people yet. 
she has to brush her hair in the mirror. <laughs> you're not gonna, you're not going to get any of that. And you know right away you're not getting it too because it's not as though Michael Myers comes from some picture perfect middle America family. It's like these people suck. This whole family sucks. <laughs> His mom's decent. Yeah, no, she's real nice. It's like she's been put in a horrible place. Like it seems like her husband died and everything went to shit after that. Yeah. And she's just trying to make ends meet. And unfortunately, she's got this fucking asshole boyfriend guy who's just an alcoholic who I I assume got into a car accident driving drunk. That's like that's my assumption. Especially since she seems to to sort resent of resent him a little bit about his disability or yeah, whether temporary. Like, yeah, or... he's like I'd be fucking working if I wasn't here as a fucking cripple or whatever and she kind of like blames him like, "Well, whose fucking fault is that?" So like either he got into a fight and somebody really beat the shit out of him or he flipped his pickup truck. Mhm. Those are the two only, the only two plausible for that guy, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> William Forsythe, every time you see him, he's just a fucking animal, right? Even when he's, like, good cop. You're just like, I don't know. He's he's a good cop, but I bet he's planted evidence before. Like, something about him. You're just like, ah, I don't trust it. He's too intense. And, like, you, you know Michael is killing animals. Like, why are you going to provoke that? Why are you going to make fun of him? Right? He's got Jeffrey Dahmer stamped on his forehead. And th- that's what the f- whole first half of this movie's all about. Like, they really make him a Jeffrey Dahmer, and I think it's a good idea. Because like, it's like a straight-up serial killer movie. Yeah, I, I mean, it does kind of put in into question the nature versus nurture, because in this, it's definitely nature with a little a little spice i i think a little something nice (laughs) um, uh, dr sam loomis who by the way gets a fucking quote at the beginning of the movie it's pretty great sam loomis it's pretty wonderful (laughs) but he he says it himself in his book the uh, the devil's eyes that it was a perfect storm so to say of both of those things like it, it, it he had the nature of this twisted mind for lack of a better term and also just came from a Sort of the shitty family environment, an unfortunate family environment. Because his mom definitely loves him. I think, you know, he and his sister were tight for a while, but, you know, shit has just turned, like, her, the entire family has turned to shit, and there's there's nobody there to nurture that better side of him. Like, in a, in a completely different environment, he could have grown up to be a CEO of a large corporation. True that. Right? He's got that psychopathic capability. He doesn't give a shit about anybody or the environment. Like, he would totally be fine signing deals that just ruined the world but made him millions of dollars. Judith in this isn't actually that awful to him, which yeah. you it, you anticipate being the case because they've set up this empathetic Michael to a degree. Yeah, that and everybody else around him is a is an absolute monster. Yeah, and the people that die up until the boyfriend kind of deserve it. The bully was a huge dick. He obviously Michael went too far. Don't kill your bullies. Do we have to disclaimer say that like <laughs> we don't agree with killing people? <laughs> no, 4 years in we have to say it, John. Okay. <laughs> and you know, like stepdads, awful. Don't murder them. Or murder them. The real villain here is the real villain fictionally. The real (laughs) villain here is alcohol. If he had not have drunk so much and passed out so completely. To allow himself his head and neck to be taped to the chair. He's got casts on his arms and legs. I can understand getting some duct tape around your chest. You don't see that coming, but like you got duct tape on your chin and forehead and you don't like what's going on? What? (laughs) Like that's on you, bud. Oh (laughs) no. Yeah, the sister thing sucks, uh, because 
Well, I mean, like, you know, no one deserves it. Fuck, why am I doing this disclaimer thing again? But, like, she really, <laughs> she really doesn't. And, like, you get Don't that. Don't murder mo- your siblings. You get that moment where it's just like, hey, you know, I'm not an asshole. I just miss my dad kind of scene. Be as heartless as you want and say, like, this is dumb. But it's just like, yeah, this looks like teenagers to me. You're acting out. You're putting on a big show for everybody. And then, like, in a quiet moment with just one other person, you're like, yeah, but you know what really hurts is that I don't have a dad. Well, and it's also, like, her rebellious boyfriend. Like, she's yeah. picked a guy that her mom doesn't like, oh, obviously. No. Yeah. And, there, yeah, there's this little, like, hint of vulnerability. And she also happens to be naked at the time. So, like, it's, it's <laughs> you know, I do want to talk about the nudity and the sexuality in this film because I think there's something really unique about it in the grand scheme of slasherdom. Let's talk about it, because I gotta say, the one the one thing that I think I noticed this time that I'd never noticed before is Michael Myers like just about to go on a fucking tear in Haddonfield while Only Women Bleed is playing by Alice Cooper. Fuck, what a great choice. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, it's with Danielle Harris and her boyfriend, like while they're while they're while they're fooling around. That's playing in the background. That's pretty great. Like there is such a a pattern established in this movie. Like all of the Female victims, apart from mom, who is kind of a victim of of her own making. Weird way to say suicide. Yep. <laughs> but here we are. But all of them end up being naked and naked through the duration of the kill. Like, there's no, I don't know, sparing them the nudity when they're being murdered. I agree. Yeah. Which is interesting because I think that points to the fact that it's not a sexually charged kill. Which is, I think, what everybody attributes the to the original Michael Myers, where technically, like, this is a tangent on a tangent. Let's hear it. Uh, John Carpenter said that's not so. Yeah. That it's not actually, you know, like, they transgressed, they had sex, and now they're being punished. It just happens to be that they're distracted. Yeah. And that is why Michael kills them, because Lori's the only one to survive, not because she's this virtuous character, but because she has her wits about her. She doesn't have... Uh, a boy down her throat. She, she's not distracted, which which is really interesting because in Rob Zombie's Halloween, which comes after an entire subgenre of slashers have been created and founded on you have sex, you die. Yep, yep. And you transgress sexually or you have premarital sex, you die. And in this one, all of the transgressors are mean to him. And it has nothing to do with the sexuality. They just happen to be in those positions when he finds them. The transgression of Laurie's two friends is that they make fun of him on the walk. I that's, suppose that's true. That's when, like, they tick him off. And also, they're just a, a, a barrier in the way of getting to Laurie for whatever his goal is there, which is it's kind of ambiguous. We don't really know. Yeah, the fact that they're naked, and you really see that in in that there's no attention paid to it. Like, at first, you're just like, ooh, they're having sex. They're, they're, they're naked. It's titillating. Like, you're watching it. And then it goes on really long and they never get a chance to cover up like when they're running through the house they're not stopping to grab a robe because they're being chased by a murderer you don't have time to like who cares if your nipples are out like yeah run yeah and it also really makes like when danielle harris's character gets uh gets found by her dad uh like another surprise appearance from brad dorf as the sheriff of haddonfield uh like that moment feels so sad when he discovers her like she makes it out she's alive is she alive we don't see her pronounced dead on the scene or anything yeah. so like i can only assume she's still alive that was another thing where i was like yeah he's supposed to die i <laughs> <laughs> really didn't like that i was like she's supposed to die There's and also he like set her up and hid behind the door is like this michael is 
I don't know. <laughs> well, see, that's that's the thing too, and is that Michael is much more calculated and goal, I guess, goal oriented in in the Rob Zombie Halloween than he is in John Carpenter's. In John Carpenter's, he's just a force of nature. Yeah, right? and it's a lot more ambiguous. Like a lot of the the lore was added in the second film. Yeah, and this Halloween is starting with concretely. Laurie oh, Strode is his sister. A thousand percent. First scene. Here's a baby. <laughs> it's well, yeah. his sister. And he loves this baby. Yeah. And he wants to reunite with this baby, whether it's to finish killing off the Myerses or if because he wants to return home, which was kind of his character's goal all the time when he was in uh, Smith's Grove. He wanted to go home. Yeah. And she is home. She yeah. is all that he has left. He kept, he held on to that photograph. Oh, true. Yeah. And he brought it with him when he broke out. Like, it's the I, one item he took. I also thought it was really kind of fun that he buried the mask in the house and the knife and he retrieved them as soon as he got there. I thought that was a really, really interesting choice, too, because it almost establishes that he's becoming the killer again. Like, even though, you know, he makes these masks and he also kills a nurse and, you know, he, he obviously kills a bunch of people when he's escaping. He's not the ruthless killer that we see in the beginning until he puts that mask yeah, on. Yeah, it's almost like the home incident is this isolated psychopathic state. And when he's in treatment, he's slowly like descending back into it when he stops talking and he starts wearing the masks ex- exclusively. But he, yeah, he doesn't become like Michael Myers until he puts that mask on. Do you think he's always just trying to protect his family? Because he kills the abusive dad. And then he kills the boyfriend, which mom doesn't like, but is also just an outsider to the family. Like, it's not necessarily that he's done anything wrong. He's just not one of them. Because he goes in to see his sister, and I don't know that he's necessarily planning on killing her right away. But she smacks him around a bunch, and then he just stabs her. It could also be, like, a shared attention thing. Instead of the misplaced lust, it's about, like, love. Yeah. And sharing love with somebody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that she's all that he has left. He kills everybody around her. And in this film, he is, like, hunting them down. He goes to the the Strode house. He goes to, apart from the two kids that are, like, canoodling in the house. Such a good detail, though. Yeah. It's Honestly. Really, it's, it's great. It, justif- it totally justifies. It's br- and I believe it. Some kids went to, like, the boogeyman's house. On Halloween. On Halloween night to fool around, drink a bunch of beers, have sex. Yeah. Like, of course, that's that. That's a story I believe. He kills them because he happens to be there at the time. Mm-hmm. And it, it really mirrors his sister's death, right? Like, it's, it's kind of just, like, muscle memory almost at that point. The only death that's really kind of strange is Danielle Harris's character and her boyfriend. Because it's out of the way. I think it might be like like in war movies where like the sniper shoots one guy and then they're like he's wounded and it's like he's bait, you know? Like what? It's, it's there for Lori to find. It is definitely bait because he leaves her alive enough and there's the setup. There's this like yeah. Jason Voorhees level setup. Right. With the pumpkin head boyfriend on a noose hanging from the banister like that's so much work i love it it's great although i I, it does need to be said this michael is a beast he's huge i believe the word you used was hunk kind (laughs) of when when we were like when we first see adult michael yeah i I clearly have a type because as a visual aid right now what john looked like in high school when we started dating yeah it was literally (laughs) adult michael in sans mask obviously right just like replace (laughs) the masks with like guitars or maybe like nirvana and slayer posters that's that was me i totally looked like that super long scraggly hair 
Yeah, that was me. <laughs> Taller than all the other teens around. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I've kind of lost my point from before. Hopefully I made it because I do want to move to back to Michael being a honk. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, not in relating to. Uh, we were talking about like how like how Michael kills and your your mind is clearly clouded by this <laughs> hunk of a man. <laughs> OK, so I'm trying to figure out a way to work around to this. The masks. I like the masks. Yeah, I think the masks are a cool idea. The paper masks are lovely. The clown mask at the beginning, I love the design of it. It's Doesn't it fun. also speak to our, like, Jungian psychology, sort of like the masks we all wear kind of garbage? What? I don't know, man. I guess the masks we all wear. But <laughs> I honestly, I was so into the paper craft masks and the need to wear a mask and the need to hide so much so that I, I don't think I would have been upset if he never got the Michael mask back. Boom. And I'm sure... That was originally the plan. Which is a crazy sacrilegious thing to say about sure. a Halloween movie. But sure. the crayon masks and the, the long stringy hair, I'd love it. Oh, I yeah. love it. It's a completely different Michael than the one we see in the second half of the film. And not because of physicality or anything. It's just because the mask is so iconic that as soon as he puts it on, we are in another Halloween movie. It doesn't matter what we've seen for the first half. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I forget everything about Michael. And then he starts dragging bodies. And it's like, you're dragging so many bodies. Why are you, <laughs> where, what are we doing here? Like, oh, right. You want the sister. Yeah. Because even when he shows up at her parents' house, um, he is a, like, without using words, he's asking, where is she? I love the Strodes. Yeah. The Strodes are great. They're maybe my favorite thing about this movie. Like, surprise, D. Wallace is wonderful. And their fucking answering machine message. Oh, I love that. That is such a good moment when and we're panning so across them, like all dead and just like splayed out across the living room. But like that nice, that nice happy Halloween voicemail message. And the fire, and they were gonna have like adult nookie because all the kids are gone. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, oh, they were so cute. They were great. Yeah, D. Wallace is uh just a complete treasure. Yeah, she, yeah, it, <laughs> right, yeah. Um. On the other hand, maybe he was punishing them for taking his sister. I don't know. I, I, it's hard to say, right? Like, either he was showing them the photo, uh, showing D. Wallace the photo to, to say, like, where is she? Or this is why I'm killing you, right? Yeah. For a Michael Myers that isn't able to drive, he gets a lot of information <laughs> or has a lot of information about Lori. He knows what she looks like. He knows who her adopted parents are. I think it's just that he sees her. And he recognizes and he her? And he recognizes her. I don't know, man. That's a stretch. I, could, I couldn't I could pick you, baby photos of you out of a lineup. I could not. Yeah, but if we, like, took a Sharpie and, like, put a beard on the baby, <laughs> like, maybe then we could. Jim, eight of these babies have been given superimposed beards <laughs> for $100,000. Which one is your husband? <laughs> like, oh, God. Uh... That would be fun to try. That's a fun idea. <laughs> Sure. And we'll do the same with me with weird colored hair. <laughs> I have to say, though, that the actual remake portions of this film, when we get to Halloween night, babysitting, killing babysitters, yeah. popcorn eat, being eaten by kids sure. in Halloween costumes, Michael Myers stalking the street, is kind of the meh is part of the movie i like the scenes where they're coming home from school and stuff and he's like you know like the similar shot you know he's in the foreground there in the background i know i, I still enjoy him. that stuff i think they the, look great the varsity jackets are perfect everybody looked like that girl like that is a perfect i wish i'd gotten her name my phone's in front of me i should check but like that that actress that they got for uh for her friend who dies like you know but killed by bob 
is like a perfect 2007 update for PJ Souls. I don't love the teenage girls in this movie. Well, I mean, they're nothing like the teenage girls in 1978. Which is kind of the credit to the original film. I love the teenage girls in the original Halloween are my absolute favorite. It is part of the reason why the film is so rewatchable for me because I love those three interacting. Oh, yeah, no, like, the beginning of that movie is is just as interesting to watch as the second half of the movie. Like, it's, it's like, the first half of Halloween 78 is, like, a hangout movie on Halloween Day, and it's awesome. Yeah, and it, and it's a, it's about the, the teens rebelling and doing their thing and using Halloween as that night to, like, break free a little bit, and there's, there's a lot of understanding in that. It's so many kids watch that and be like, I get it. Totally. I feel that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I didn't vibe with the teens so much. I really liked Danielle Harris. I thought she was wonderful. She was, I think, the best of the three. I didn't love Flory. I think they had to put... Oh, yeah, okay. And right. uh, I, I didn't love the other one. Maybe it was just, like, the dialogue for them. They were all really harsh and, like, really modernly mean to each other. You know, like, mean nice. That was their move, which is like, I'm going to be mean nice to you, and I'm going to be mean nice to you, and then we're going to laugh about it. I mean, it's as pleasant as Rob Zombie scripts it get. <laughs> so, I mean, like, at the very least, they're not like, carny trash. You know, like, <laughs> it's fine. Like, But I get it. You know, like, yeah, they're not they're not nearly as interesting, but like, whatever. Dope jackets, though. Dope, Dope jackets. jackets. Yeah. Full credit to the costuming department <laughs> on that one. So you don't like Lori. She spends most of the night teasing the kid about the boogeyman, and it's just, I don't know. This is not a great babysitter move. Jamie Lee Curtis does an, the same thing. I know, but it's kind of an older sister move, and it's just like... They, there is such a rapport. They walk to school together. Yeah. They've known each other forever. Yeah. She's probably she babysitting She makes fun of him there, free. too. She, she makes fun of him all the time. <laughs> She's essentially being a big sister. She doesn't have any siblings. He, by the looks of it, doesn't have any siblings either. Fair. You know, they're just looking out for each other. Yeah, fair. Punching each other while they're down. <laughs> you know, sibling stuff. Uh, you know, w- One thing that I think is interesting with the Lori character in this movie, which, you know, it's not like they have Lori going out on a date and fooling around or anything, but they do show her actively being stoked about meeting a dude later. Like, which is something that you don't really get with Jamie Lee Curtis. She's more reluctant and hesitant and yeah, disinterested. Yeah, she's like, I just like, I'm not ready. Or, or at the very least, she wants it to be a private thing where like, you know, she, who, who cares about that? We're not talking about that movie. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, in this one, she's like actively like seeking out Scott, I think is his name. Like, she's like stoked to hear that he's like really, really into her. And she's very interested in meeting up with him later. I think that further proves my point that this movie has nothing to do about sexuality. Yeah, absolutely. Which the original Halloween doesn't either, which I, I totally, whatever. But it's like the elephant in the room when you're doing a slasher movie, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Thou hast transgress. <laughs> yeah. The tombstone thing is also a thing that just doesn't make sense in this version. Yeah, it just kinda. feels like things that we had to have, like the, the you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't moments. Bob the ghost is a you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Yeah. I mean, it never made sense. It's never made sense, but it's been great. It it's one. Gr- it's, it's always great. been great. Everybody loves it. Everybody loves it. Everybody loves that tombstone. Like I, I love that tombstone. That's my fucking like favorite scene of the original set, like the original Halloween. I think I do have a theory here mm-hmm. about the tombstone that I. Is it just to show that he's like hello strong? Is that all it is? Because that dude's walking around town <laughs> with a tombstone like it's a boombox on his shoulder. I mean, I'm not not picturing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> But the tombstone doesn't say Judith Myers on it. It just says Myers and it's a cross. 
think it's mom's tombstone. Oh, you think it's mom? I don't think it's Judith because Judith's death isn't the tentpole of Michael Myers's psychopathy or his. She's just somebody who's killed during his spree. Mm. But I like, like this while Michael's in Smith's Grove, his mom commits suicide because she can't live with the fact that she's birthed a monster. I guess, and also all of her family is dead except for this baby. Man, that fucking, when she commits suicide and the the first thing you hear after that gunshot is a wailing baby, it's like, damn. Yeah, it's pretty dark. Damn. And we don't get to see Michael react to hearing about his mom's suicide, because at this point, he's like full fugue state. He's not speaking. You're not really going to get much out of that scene anyways. Maybe a single tear under the mask. Like, I don't know. (laughs) I'm I'm sure they shot something, but they just skipped it. Yeah, because you don't really need it. No. But I think that's where he realized he does not have a home to go home to. He will never get out of Smith's Grove. I'm with you. This is great. I like this a lot. Which is, it's it's not like it's like, uh, I'm not trying to discredit what you're saying. It's not like it's like a revolutionary thing. No, it's just a little. But it does, it does change the movie. Yeah, because the Judith tombstone is another one of those you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. You need to have the tombstone. Yeah. And they found a way to work it in where it still fits with this expanded lore that Rob Zombie has created for his own take on Halloween. He still manages to leave a, a dead coyote. At the tombstone for no reason, which was very Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There's a lot of there Texas Chainsaw of, Massacre yes. in this, right? Like surprise, surprise. The the door when Michael's when Michael's back at the Strode House and he's just destroying it to get to like the lorry in the walls. Yeah, like, there's that sliding door and it has that metal sound and you're like, this is not okay. It did not need it. Okay, definitely did not have it. But, <laughs> like, but in post, they were like, maybe we just make it sound a little tin, like this, it's a little metal, a little heavy. Yeah, you know, and lorry. Or he couldn't open it, and he had to wrench it open with oh, his with yeah, his yeah, leather yeah. face arms. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a Rub Zombie movie. There's gonna be Texas Chainsaw and its DNA like all over it, right? <laughs> There's no avoiding it, and it's like, oh no, he's inspired by the greatest horror movie ever made. Sorry, <laughs> big fucking deal. And that's why I kind of like that Michael Myers's mask, because it's been stored under the floorboards, is so dirty. Yeah, and we have such a dirty Michael. I, I, oh God. <laughs> we can't take this back, can we? <laughs> <laughs> no. Nope. That's not what I meant. Sure it isn't. It just meant like, it's very true to Rob Zombie. Like, I feel like if you, if you slap Rob Zombie's jeans right now, like a cloud of dirt would come off of them. That's my expectation And like, purely also. for aesthetic reasons, not because I think Rob Zombie's dirty. Like, no. But he does definitely roll outside the tour bus before he goes on stage, right? Like He's, he's got like the Spawn Ranch look. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like. Space cowboy, but also dirt space cowboy. Yeah, thank you know. Thankfully, we did not spend the last half hour laying the foundation for you talking about how hunky. Did I just Michael call like Myers. Michael Myers a dirty boy? Because I feel sure like did. I feel like I did. <laughs> oh boy, you did. <laughs> As the person who edits this podcast, it's staying. Oh god, and <laughs> I don't think I have anything else to say. <laughs> We completely, so like when you mentioned how dirty he was, like I was thinking also about <laughs> getting the jumpsuit this time from Ken Forhey. Like I fucking love that scene. It's just, it's just another opportunity for a great cameo, but it's, it's brutal. It's gnarly. Like you get to see how, how fucking strong and tall this guy is. He could see over the bathroom stall. Yeah. And like that, Ken Forhey puts also up a could. good fight. Also could almost. <laughs> <laughs> he puts up a real, real good fight. 
But uh, I was really worried he was going to end up face down in his own poo. I was so concerned. He didn't get a chance to flush before he had to fight Michael. And I was like, please don't give him a swirly. Please don't. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it would be the second grossest thing in that scene next to Michael Myers' feet. Yeah. Yeah, right. That hospital needs... I don't know, a health inspecting audit or... <laughs> oh, no, I'm sure his feet looked, like, relatively okay, like, when he was at the hospital. But, you know, he's got a bunch of blood all over him. He's been walking for a long time. He's just True, he's caked in he's mud. not driving. Exactly. That is the one big difference in Rob Zombie's, in Rob Zombie's Halloween. He does not know how to drive. <laughs> what if that was the cornerstone of the pitch meeting, right? Like, okay, here, we got this. We start... Origin story. Michael never learns how to drive. <laughs> And then the rest of it is mostly just taken from the 78 version. We got a green light. Everybody, we're good. All right, let's go. <laughs> they shake Rob Zombie's hand and dust plumes <laughs> into the dust air. Dust plumes <laughs> Yeah. Uh. So I think there's only like two other things we really need to talk about. And one that is like the crazy long finale this movie has. It's a little long. And also just Sam Loomis in general. What are your thoughts on Malcolm McDowell as Sam Loomis? I love his weave. Okay. In the first half of the, <laughs> the movie. First, that's how I, they make him look younger. I also love that they call out the, I know you already said it in this episode, so I'm being a little redundant, but the elephant in the room, that Sam Loomis is not without ego. Oh, yeah. And this Sam Loomis really plays into that. Like, you know he's thinking about the book deal. Do like, you well, remember he's... anything about the, the Halloween 2 that we're about to watch? I do not. Oh, you are gonna love yeah. Sam Loomis in Halloween not, 2. We have not, uh, I don't think I've revisited it at all since the first time I watched it. So like, okay. I'm very foggy on, on 2. I know I really like the mask and there's a lot of fire. It's got a fun cameo also. <laughs> it's got a real fun cameo. I'm very excited. But yeah, this Loomis is kind of a prick, and oh yeah, where it's he's really painted that you 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 get that you really feel that not that he's a prick, but that he's he's got an ego and he's very into himself and into his diagnoses and kind of full headed. I don't know. We don't see him going from like, oh, Michael's just a boy. That was my Malcolm McDowell just there. Okay. Uh, to let me hear you, Donald Pleasance. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, to Michael's a monster now, <laughs> and there is very much a jump, and I think it's solely because he needs that retirement money. He needs that book to sell. The Satan himself. Oh, that was good. That was not bad. That, that was, was a good. pretty good Malcolm McDowell, if I do say so. He needs that to sell the book. He's Satan, and he is this evil figure, and he's black, the absence of color. Oh, boy. Oh, <laughs> boy. Because it's it's good copy. Yeah. Yeah. He's not... It's hard to say. Like, the Sam Loomis character in general is just like, what are you doing here? Yeah, I don't love the the, the Sam Loomis character. Like, he's kind of funny, and he kind of becomes very silly. Yeah, like, we need him. Don't get me wrong. Like, especially in the 78 Halloween, he is an essential character who delivers some information that we very that we desperately need in order he for is, that movie to move along. But he is the most meme-worthy character of the Halloween franchise. Absolutely. So meme-worthy. Well, that's what happens when you spend most of the movie hanging out in a bush. <laughs> At least in this one, he's cruising around with the sheriff a little more. But yeah, he doesn't seem as, like, we must protect the citizens of Haddonfield so much. It's more just like, I fucking told you. Like, I fucking told you. And I'm going to be there when the cameras show up to tell them, too. Uh, that's that's definitely a little more of his move. I think Malcolm McDowell does a fine job. He's, he's I, like, I like him as an actor. He's totally fine as, as the, the character in this. He's just got significantly less to do, and that might also just be because 
you know, you could arguably make this movie without a Sam Loomis character and probably be fine. And that's only because you've got 40 years of Halloween movies where you could, one, you, you change the narrative entirely and you, he's just gone. Um, and also, like, your hardcore fans kind of, they, they already know everything they need to know before going into the movie. Also, I don't think it's that hard to convince police to go investigate something on Halloween night. Yeah, especially you know murders. I mean? Exactly. Especially murders. Like, it's one of those nights where if somebody's like, hey, I think I heard actual screaming down on whatever, like, maybe they're not going to have their hand on their gun when they go, but, like, yeah. they're going to go check it out. Yeah, especially especially our sheriff here, Brad Dorff, because, like, let's pretend a Dr. Samuel Loomis never finds this sheriff or, like, never even bothers to show up to Haddonfield. He just puts his feet up on a sofa and goes, that sucks for them. Uh, that sheriff goes and gets his burger and soda. He continues cruising around for an hour or two, and then he gets a phone call that there's been a stabbing at his house, and everything just plays out as it would. Yeah, because the the actual finale, Michael and Lori are pretty uninterrupted apart from Malcolm McDowell, apart oh, from Loomis. He delivers the gun. Like, that's really all it is. <laughs> That's the, you know, and they, so if there's no Sam Loomis, it's just like, oh, maybe another cop shows up and Michael kills a cop and that's how Lori gets a gun. Yeah, I can't believe that first when they, they break into the, the babysitting house that only two cops come in. Like when those two cops were disposed of and then Michael grabbed Lori, I was like, where is everybody else? I mean, I, uh, it was like a little girl who called the police. I suppose. On Halloween night. But in just they like took it seriously, the though. The bad policing, they were like, come out, come out. And it's just like, you guys did not clear the house first because yeah. that curtain is pretty bulgy. Yeah. <laughs> You can, yeah, there is definitely like a big seven foot hunk with a knife standing behind that <laughs> there curtain. There is a definite beefcake behind that curtain. <laughs> Yo, did you clear the upstairs for beefcakes? <laughs> definitely no five footers up there. Oh man, that whole that whole finale is real long, and I think it's because we have too many ups and downs in it. You know, Lori is in danger. Lori is safe, and then but it, it's also really because the. They add this additional scene, which I like, where Michael brings her home. And na like now everything's quote-unquote safe again because he's not actively trying to kill her. But it, it slows the action down, which happens again afterwards. So it's just like, it's a little bit of like a tug-of-war situation between like the, the adrenaline of the, of, the, of the survival mode that she's in and the, the slowdown for explanation or exploration of the characters. I do enjoy how rough it is for her. I do enjoy yeah. how thoroughly fucked up she gets by the end of the movie. Like, yeah. she looks like she's been through some shit. This is a Lori that's going to have PTSD. Totally. Um, but I think because they're trying to keep Michael's motivations in getting to Lori kind of ambiguous, you're not sure whether he's trying to bond with her or kill her or what he's feeling at certain moments. Yeah. And... This is this is really interesting. I don't know if you know this fact. Apparently, when Rob Zombie was originally writing it, and this was, I think, true up until pretty late into development, he was actually going to speak to her in that moment. Okay. He was going to say the the nickname he had for her as a baby. He called oh. her. He called her Boo. I would have been fine with that because she wouldn't have no fucking idea what's going on. And, and it's and Halloween he, night. And he's the boogeyman. And he says Boo. Yeah. They should have put that in. But they were worried it would be too cheesy and it'd be Fuck. too weird at that point to have Michael say anything, and it wouldn't be true to like the Michael Myers. Oh, just it might have been funny though if they AD, hadn't nailed it. Adr. It might have been very funny. Again. 
could have sucked, but like they, <laughs> oh, they should have just eighty. I wish that. they had have at least filmed it so like it existed as a deleted scene and we could watch it and pretend it was real. Yeah, if it was good. If it was I... bad, we could pretend it didn't exist. <laughs> exactly. I want <laughs> on the option, right? Exactly. Don't tell me what I don't want in my <laughs> Halloween movie. I would have loved that. Yeah, that's such a cool idea. Mm-hmm. Shit. I like that moment. I think it's good. And like I mainly because He's a little soft though. Don't you like Michael, you're getting soft. <laughs> well, but the the argument in Halloween nineteen seventy eight is is whether or not he's trying to kill her. Well that's not necessarily. I think true. it's mis so it could be like a misplaced lust. Like he sees this lovely girl who he wants to get to know, and all he knows is, like, knife go in, knife come out. Knife go in, no, no, knife no. come out. I'm, I'm totally with you. I think he cannot express any emotion without rage. Like, I think every single emotion he has, murder is what ends up taking over. <laughs> like, when he when he loves a character, when he's scared for a character, when he's looking out for somebody, like, it, it all results in love. Or sorry, it all results in murder. I'm expressing myself. Yeah. yeah. Like, and and the, I think that's so great. Like, one, for just, like, a serial killer character and for Michael Myers, especially with the whole, like, Lori's my sister wrinkle, which is essentially just continuity now, right? Like, it's... it's it's, I think it's canon. so it's, it's so interesting in Halloween 2018, this new timeline they're starting, in that they're kind of keeping true to the original intention that John Carpenter had, in that there's nothing special about Lori, and that... Oh, I, I, I would say that there is something special about Lori, but it's just not that it's, it's not his sister. Yeah, but I'm, I mean, now, yeah, but definitely it's going to come to fruition in this second film coming out. But in the 2018 one, like, Lori keeps putting herself in situations. And it's just like, I don't even know if he's after you. <laughs> no. Yeah, well, like, yeah, again, we're going we're gonna to learn more about that and we're going to explore that more deeply in Halloween Kills when it comes, and I'm really excited for it. Because he just... He's not looking for Lori in Halloween 2018. Like No, he, he's back to teens. Yeah, well, he gets brought there. Yeah, He's like, as surprised to see her as she is. He's like, oh, shit, all right. What's good? It's we been 40 years, right? Yeah. <laughs> and she's just like, I'm ready, Michael. And he's like, sorry, you are? <laughs> <laughs> I left my she glasses at the little, prison. <laughs> little bottles of vodka at him. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. oh boy! Yeah, it's it's crazy how many branches of of this character and and like we we can see them all. Like they're not just theories anymore in ways this character could go. If you want psychopath Michael, you oh, literally yeah. have a yeah, branch yeah, 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 you yeah. can go down. It's like comic if, books. Yeah, if you want, she's my sister fanfic. There's <laughs> there's a fanfic for you. <laughs> totally, and like that's 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 one of the interesting things about seeing a franchise that's existed for 40 years uh, and and now that we are starting to retcon a bunch of stuff like I find it interesting like I don't find it like personally it doesn't bother me all that much as much as like I would just like to see a different newer movie when we are talking franchises I think that's what's interesting about franchises now is seeing how we can sort of be revisionist about what they were trying to do and where we are taking it now and like, I don't think it's it's bad to necessarily say like these movies didn't happen. Whatever, they still exist. And like like your tree branch situation, like yeah, if you want Michael as a brother, he's over here. If you like, you get whatever Michael you want, 
And it's just like this this year, this is what's in vogue. Like this is <laughs> this is what's coming in the September fashion issue of Michael Myers. <laughs> this, this year it's all about PTSD. Right? And uh and man, the end of this movie, it ends on it sucks that the finale drags because it ends on such a rad fucking moment where she's trying to shoot him, but there's no bullets in the gun. Or at the very least, the chamber is clicking empty. He opens his eyes, grabs her hand, she fucking blows him away. But like he could have cracked her wrist and he didn't. I thought it was such a tender grab. Right? Yeah. It was, was such just... a loving, brotherly plead. <laughs> I'm glad you're okay. I flew off the handle of there for a second. Oh, Did you see when I pushed you out that window so you wouldn't murder me and then I landed big brother side down? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it ends on such a great moment, and uh, and I think this is a really good remake. Across the board, yeah, we've got the things that, you know, bones to pick about it, and things that, like, I don't necessarily think work 100%, but, uh, you know, in terms of what Rob Zombie was setting out to do, and just, like, the impossible task of trying to make a movie that people were going to like. You're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. And right? it's unique. There's a unique take on it. Yeah. And, he, and the things that he changes are good and well executed and the masks are great. The kid who portrays young Michael is fantastic. I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to say his name because I'm going to butcher it. <laughs> there are so many wonderful decisions in this movie and it is a great addition to this crazy franchise. Yeah. And I'm super stoked to check out number two because I don't remember anything about it. Can't wait. Halloween 2, so weird. It goes in such such a... It's like the Texas Chainsaw 2 of Halloween sequels. <laughs> but, um... Before we send you to the trailer, and before we go watch the movie... <laughs> yeah. Ratings. We ratings. Need, we need ratings. We didn't talk at all about the music, but I mean, whatever. Tyler Bates is, like, rework. Don't Fear the Reaper. Woo! Yeah, Don't Fear the Reaper. Twice in this movie, which is rad. <laughs> yeah, first off, soundtrack. Fucking killer soundtrack. I mean, if you're gonna pay for it, you might as well play it more than once. Yeah, right? And, uh, but yeah, Tyler Bates is, like, uh, reworking of the Halloween theme I think is really good. I don't know that all the stings work and come in the right places. Yeah, there's some weird like, oh, we're we're going we're going to hear the shit. theme. Yeah. Okay. But I, I like I like how it's like a detuned piano and it's just like it's like a bunch it's it, it's like the Halloween theme done with kids instruments left outside in like an abandoned shed for 40 years and like we're just discovering them now and like the skeletons are learning how to play. Ooh. Anyway, like I'm just <laughs> dirty. Everything is dirty. Everything's dirty. He's a dirty boy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so ratings, Kim. Uh, I'm gonna give it a two and a half out of four. I am. I'm also giving it a two and a half out of four. I I really do think that if the the ending was just a little shorter, shorter, or just I don't know, a, like the, it was paced a little better, it would have been a three out of four. Also, Danielle Harris really needed to die. <laughs> you really? I loved her character, but like you you gotta kill the babysitters. Yeah, he tries. He's one for three. One for three of the girls. I mean, that's true. Yeah, unfortunately. Maybe. It's ambiguous as to whether she survived. I think she's there. I think she's in the second yeah, one. Yeah, she was talking like right up to the end. <laughs> to the end. So yeah, 2.5 uh, out of four from the both of us. But still, I think higher than the average bear. I think so too. Like it's a strong 2.5. Yeah, enjoyed. Good. 2.75, I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? 
Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Anyway, yeah, 2.5, strong recommendation. Revisit it if you haven't in a little while. But uh, but moving on, we're going to talk about Rob Zombie's follow-up, Halloween 2. Nurse? Hello? Is anybody here? You've witnessed the birth of evil. Are you a giant? Now, the secret behind his madness will finally be revealed. Only a river of blood can bring us together again. No, there's no one out here. We are all counting on you to take us home this year. Now go have some fun. On August 28th, evil is here. It's walking amongst us. Michael is more evolved. Rob Zombie completes his extreme vision of a terrifying legend. Kill her, baby. Two from 2009, written and directed by Rob Zombie, currently sitting at a 4.9 out of 10 on IMDb, 21% on Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> 35% Metacritic rating, and 2.3 out of 5 on Letterboxd. That Rotten Tomatoes rating is low, but it's honestly not that much lower than the uh, the previous Halloween. I think that had a 27? Yeah, 27. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, not... Eh. <laughs> kind of what I anticipate for... A um, remake, just in general. Just, yeah, like critics and Rob Zombie. It's just I, oh, I sure. assume the only one that's above fifty is probably Devil's Rejects. You're probably right. Yeah. Yeah. We, we should make a bet. Okay, at the beginning of the show. Let's make a bet. Okay. We we agree. Devil's Rejects highest rating. I'm gonna say seventy three percent. What are you gonna say? Seventy three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I bet it's I bet it's eighty six. Okay, we're gonna check at the end of the show. Okay. <laughs> Don't skip ahead. Um, you know, just just while we got Halloween 1 on the brain still a little bit, mm-hmm. the end of Halloween 2 in the credits has like, little close-up shots of, like, every victim from the previous film and this film. 
And it kind of got me thinking, and this goes back to you talking about how Annie should die, and that's just how you feel about it. The original title for John Carpenter's Halloween, Babysitter Murders, Mm -hmm. you could argue that, like, the working title for Rob Zombie's Halloween could have been The Boyfriend Murders. Why do you say that? Because pretty much everybody who gets killed in the movie is a boyfriend. He kills her sister's boyfriend. He does kill his sister. Uh, he kills <laughs> He kills his mom's boyfriend. He kills all the babysitter's boyfriends. It's kind of just like one babysitter who gets killed. She's not even babysitting. She's a trespasser. Like, I think she probably would have made it out fine if she wasn't in the Myers house. But a lot of boyfriends on the chopping block. True. I, we don't need to branch off from that. I just I wanted to bring it up. I don't have any, any additional input here. That's fine. But- yeah. Okay. Let's let's get into Halloween 2. Now, like the Friday the 13th remake that came out the same year, Halloween 2 has like one of the greatest opening sequences ever. Fuck yeah, do I love like the first half hour of this movie. I disagree hard. Oh, wow. I have a hard ugh. It's so good. No, John. <laughs> it's it's like the original Halloween 2 condensed in 25 minutes with a with a really sad performance from Octavia Spencer. <laughs> Her death, I will admit, is is lovely. It hurts. But yeah, I just do not understand Michael Myers in this movie. I would really like to read a breakdown with a map drawn okay. of his movements in Halloween 2 because it makes absolutely no sense. And now I know he's being led by a white ghosty horse. Oh yeah. But like, what the fuck? How does he know to go to the hospital? How does he know to go here? Well, hospitals he goes are real, to but... the fucking Halloween rave. He goes to Annie's yeah, house. I don't really have it's an answer a... for the rave. <laughs> I do not understand. What about Richard Brake? Like the creepy, creepy coroner who's like definitely planning on molesting a corpse later that night. Are we, are I'm, we I'm, st- his st- I'm still or? just trying to talk about the beginning of okay. this movie. <laughs> you gave me such a high-level overview that I didn't know where to go. Oh, well, I just think it's... Cr- and in the fact that it turned out to be, spoiler alert, a fucking dream sequence, I was like, wait... So what happened? What is real here? In my memory, I always like to pretend that like that that hospital sequence did happen, and that's part of Lori's you know previous two years ago trauma. But it's a thousand percent not. Like it is just a dream. Him escaping and like the Richard Brake corner sequence. Uh, that I, we that's all is real. real. All real. Totally okay. real. Did Lori dream it also though? <laughs> that's like- a great question. Like did she like her dreams are like exterior night <laughs> coroner's <laughs> van. <laughs> Well, yeah, because when somebody's like, and the fact that they, when they talk to Loomis, and they're like, and the fact that they never found the body, and you're like, wait, what? So how much of the dream sequence is dream sequence, and how much of it is real? I think what it, I think the movie is trying to blend those two things together to make it less uh, obvious. Like, I think they want you to think that the ha- the hospital sequence is real. And that hospitals just have, like, big morgue dumpsters. Yeah, bins. they got that big old dumpster in the back. <laughs> Where, like, Michael has just, like, he's been there for a week if those are all bodies he killed. Because he's got to kill them, drag them, put them in the dumpster, clean it up so no one notices, you know. I, for for a second, was like, wait, hang on a second. Are we in Freddy's boiler room? What is going on here? Yeah. It's just like, hospitals do not look like this. No, they definitely don't just have, like, a big old trash bin in the back where they put body parts like oh fuck it (laughs) let the funeral home sort it out it reminds me of that episode of the simpsons when the the hamster dies and the vet just throws the hamster (laughs) (laughs) there's a basketball net over the garbage can it never gets any easier like (laughs) boof boof like swish from across the court 
Yeah, if you die at this hospital, you're definitely being made into chicken nuggets. Man, it blows my mind that you don't like that hospital sequence. I think it fucking rocks. I love everything about it. Also, too, just like, you know, not that, not that we didn't get this in, in the first Halloween, but man, is Michael Myers vicious when he stabs people. He may as well be hitting them with a thousand pound boulder. That's how hard he's stabbing them. Like there's, there's, there's some inner turmoil behind this. It's just like, I think here there's something going on in you, buddy. It's not just anger. I think this is also my issue with the first film is I don't know if I really enjoy Rob Zombie's slasher take. I'm not with Michael Myers during the actual slasher parts of the movie. The stuff I really enjoy in this film was one. Extra Brad Dourif, which is lovely. Yeah. Maximum Brad Dourif. And he's like a little off the rails in this movie, and, right? Yeah, It's absolutely. surprising to find out that he's still the sheriff. And yeah, I agree. And Sam Loomis. Like, those are my favorite elements of this. When we watch Mikey doing his thing, I'm just like, me. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I like the especially the opening. Like, there's so much rain, and then we go to the security booth, and then we're in the security booth. I fucking love that security booth. And then he shows up. Oh man, okay, that's fine. It's a difference of opinion. I like, I really like the opening of this movie. I think it's great. I think it's fucking gory as shit too. Damn, is the opening of this movie gory? Like when that when that guy that coroner smashes his face on the steering wheel, and his jaw is just like ninety degrees from his face. Richard Brake is. I, I don't know. It's gone wrong with Richard Brake, but it's like his teeth are falling out right before him. He's Mike. very whiny. He's, which is great because you know, like you don't feel bad for him. And somebody's clearly breaking out of the morgue trunk, and he's screaming for help. I think he thinks somebody's breaking in. Okay, there's just like the the lack of self. I know he's in excruciating pain, but yeah. it's just like, buddy, you need to roll up that window with your good arm. <laughs> you just get quiet and stay put. Play dead. <laughs> Although this Michael's too smart, you cannot play dead near this Michael. He's got, like, beeline for wherever people are hiding. Yeah, and, you know... From um, parties to houses, he knows where people... Like, he, he's got a list, and he's he's just going through it. Okay, so you like Dr. Loomis. I'm very happy to hear that. I, I really thought you would enjoy New Loomis in I Halloween love, too. I love New Loomis. I almost wish the whole movie was New Loomis. Because he's such a whiny bitch, right? He's awful, and he gives, <laughs> he gives me total Gale Weathers vibes. Okay. He is the Gale Weathers of this movie. Now, I don't know that uh, Gale Weathers prior to Scream 1, we're talking, right? Because I think Gale Weathers sees the error of her ways. You don't think Gale becomes a better person? So does Loomis, I suppose, maybe. He just hasn't been given the opportunity. We don't follow him enough. We only follow him in these weird, vast hotel conferences. Whoa, that that hotel sequence is so good because it is such an anti-Rob Zombie moment. It's so weird picturing Rob Zombie on the other side of that camera. Yeah, just. This hotel is too clean. There's people actually water the plants here. This could not be a house Rob Zombie lives in. I like that shot. I think it's great, especially where the camera's following them, and then the quick takes a detour by the reception desk while and goes around. Yeah, so we, like yeah. we see the whole atria and everything. It's great. I think it's fun, and it is. It's so bizarre to see it in this movie. It is. It is weirdly clean. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I like Sam Loomis because, and it's true about a lot of other stuff throughout this movie. It's it's that same sequel mode where you you just like you just dial everything up to eleven. You're like, oh, you know, maybe he was a little egomaniacal in the first one. Maybe he was a little full of himself. It's not on full display, but we're dialing it up to eleven this time. And say, you know, same thing with uh, with with Laurie and everybody. Like we, we ham it up a bit in the sequel, right? 
Yeah, I, I honestly think it has little to do with the fact that it, it is a sequel. And I think this is the first circumstance where Rob Zombie feels like he has creative control over these characters. Okay. Whereas I think in the first one, there was definitely more direction and mm. more requirements of him to fulfill the remake needs of the film. That makes sense. And in the second one, especially since they got him back directing, and I think I think at some point there were there were different directors attached oh, yeah. to the sequel. There sure were. Yeah, so I think this is us seeing how this story would have looked like from the beginning. So I think you have to treat Halloween 2 almost like this is the first time you're seeing this Sam Loomis. This is the first time you're seeing this Lori. This is the first time you're seeing Michael. Because any other way, there's a lot of disconnect between the two, like stylistically and in, in, and in intent. Mm. To watch them like this Halloween 2 is a sequel to the first one, I don't know if it works. I think, yeah, we, um, and I, I recommend you doing this at home. We put a little bit of time in between watching both of them. We, we you know, watched a like, day, a whole day. We watched, <laughs> yeah, and, and we watched like comedy and whatnot. Like, because you got really got to forget about that first one, which is, which is tough. And I'm sure, you know, like like most people out there and rewatched Rob Zombie's Halloween before going to see Halloween two in the theater. It's just it's just what you do. It's part of tailgating, but it it doesn't it doesn't always make for the greatest movie going experience, right? Mm-hmm. Because I found myself more frustrated that the characters weren't fulfilling what I learned of them in the first movie. Michael Myers He's he's a lot grubbier in this. <laughs> he wears a lot he, dirtier. Is that he, what you're yeah, and not in a, <laughs> and not in a mechanic outfit kind of way, like okay. in in a hobo road stop kind of way. Man, like I like nomadic Mike Myers. He's wearing a hoodie. He's eating dogs. He does, he only wears the mask sometimes. He's got a big beard. What are you talking? He puts that mask on when he needs the mask mode. Like he's he is just. A uh, little just... boy when he's not wearing. Actually, arguably, he's that little boy when he puts the mask on. But I don't know, man. He goes he goes berserker mode when he puts the mask on. I know, but it's just like that's Rob Zombie and then now Lori's got dreads and Lori's Rob Zombie. She's, she's wearing, wearing Rob Zombie's hat. She's wearing his hat. Like everybody's <laughs> Rob Zombie in this. <laughs> You know my favorite Rob Zombie movies are the ones where all the characters are Rob Zombie. I think that's why I think that's why Devil's Rejects is so good. <laughs> Rob Zombie running away from serial killer Rob Zombie because Rob Zombie's an outcast and he's got a spiritual bond with other Rob Zombie. Yeah, the only person who's not Rob Zombie is Sherry Moon Zombie. <laughs> I'm okay with it. And Margot Kidder. Yeah, Margot Kidder shows up again. Another movie just. Full of great cameos, or at the very least, cameos that like horror fans will appreciate. Like, hey, there's Bria Grant, there's Caroline Williams, there's that kid from People Under the Stairs, there's that other guy from Sons of Anarchy. Like, it's it's full of people you want to see. Patrick the Star is in this. That's so true. That one of the cops is Patrick the Star. Yeah, I think my biggest issue with this movie is I find it really meanders. Okay. We we visit a lot of like cool spots. Yeah. They're cool spots. I just don't know if there's a lot here. I get it. It's the most nomadic Michael Myers movie I've ever seen in that it's got a lot less direction. Lori's journey, she is in pure like bipolar mode. She is 100 degrees of a different mood every single time we see her. And sometimes there's not that much time in between scenes and her mood has changed. And what we understand about her, too, is like completely, I don't know. I didn't realize until three quarters in when she did that we didn't know that she was the sister of Michael Myers. Like, in two years, she didn't find that out? I think that might have been my fault. Because, like, well, here's the thing. Like, her parents are dead. I don't even think her parents... She never talked to Sam Loomis before he, like, went off and wrote his book. Like, it just feels... 
I don't know, he seemed very concerned about her well-being in the first movie, and then he maybe didn't die and then just dicked off and wrote his book? Maybe it was Sheriff Brackett, uh, Brad Dorff's character, who just maybe shooed him out of town uh, after Halloween night 2007. So she never really got an opportunity to talk to Sam Loomis. He seems like he was the only person left that knew who she was. Because in, in, in the original, I keep saying original, in Rob Zombie's Halloween 1, he talks about rescuing this baby and driving it two towns over and dumping it off at a hospital, basically unnamed. Like I just I just found this baby. Please take care of it. You yeah. Know? And then, then then there's then there's clearly just some exposition missing from the beginning. Like we just needed to see Brad Dourif in a cop car being like, you know, I I never told her that that who the the truth about that night and yeah. why he had come back and she could never know because it'll just ruin her. I think or like talking it... to her therapist or something. Like there was Maybe. there was just no clarity in what she knew and what she didn't. And by how hard of a left turn she went character wise like she's become this kind of grungy rebel this yeah. rob zombie rebel yeah uh working at a rob zombie coffee shop bookshop record store love it <laughs> want to go to that shop so bad that i just yeah i didn't know that she didn't know that's... and then when she when she found out it was like oh oh that that's a rough day for you that might be partly my fault because <laughs> it's not your fault it's the movie's fault John. well here's the here's the thing we were watching the movie together and she was talking to her psychiatrist margot kidder saying it's my fault and you said why <laughs> <laughs> and i replied because it's her brother and he was coming for her and killed all of her friends mm. like and that was me assuming so why, that she why already did she knew. think it was her fault it's a great question <laughs> i have no idea maybe it's because he he f- zeroed in on her toward the end of the night mm. I don't know, man. Yeah, I don't know, man. And the relationship between her and Annie is weird because, one, Annie shouldn't be in this movie at all. Um, You're coming back to that. Eh? I just, she should have <laughs> died. It's just how it goes. Yeah. Hey, maybe Rob Zombie wanted her to die. Maybe they made her, maybe they, maybe rewrites forced him to let her live. And, but then it's Which almost like we he... don't. We don't know what to do with these girls, so they just hate each other, even though they have this shared experience. And this Lori, one, becomes less special because she's not a final girl. She's sharing that role with somebody, but it's still, yeah, there's there's this weird... I don't know. It, it it would be it would have been interesting to see the the t- the two having a shared experience and and how significant what they went through. Like that should have brought them closer together. I don't know. And then it, yeah, it's just like they don't know what to do with these characters that are left over. It sounds like you wanted this to be a movie, and sounds- Rob Zombie was just like, "Hey, you know what the problem with movies is? They're all movies, and we need to explore the psychology of somebody who's gone through this fucking crazy shit, mm-hmm. which is what we see in Halloween 2018, also." But the idea that we're exploring the the ramifications of being a final girl, like what it fucking does to you and how it ruins you mentally. And unfortunately, yeah, like it it doesn't really paint Lori in like the greatest, most, it doesn't make her a likable character for a movie because she, for lack of a better term, is like wallowing, complaining, uh, freaking out, but she's got PTSD. Like this is prop this is this is what it looks like more than just like I'm going to go back into the woods with my friends again. You know, I hope everything's okay this time. Like that's not but she what she does do that. She she does. And I think it's it's because she's self-medicating with alcohol, she's trying to escape it, she's trying to pretend it's not real. I don't like her either. Like I'll say that. Like I don't enjoy watching her 
freaking out and screaming the whole fucking movie. It's a lot. But I should say, for some reason, this is the director's cut that Shudder has. You know, we watched the theatrical cut for Halloween 1 on Shudder. And on Shudder, they, they, they have the director's cut, which puts in more scenes of Laurie freaking out. Yeah, we, we did get ample freaking Oh, outs. boy, did we. I noticed, I, I honestly didn't know we'd watch the director's cut until just a couple minutes ago when I was reading about the alternate ending. And I was like, yeah. we watched the alternate ending. We saw the alternate ending. <laughs> and it's mashed up with the original ending. Like, we got They're all of similar, the endings yeah. in, the, in the end, kind of. Yeah. And I mean, we got a lot more Laurie yelling. A lot more. A lot more Laurie yelling. It's not easy and it, i think it's just because like she comes into a scene and she's freaking out and then more information gets delivered or there's there's some back and forth between her and her friends and then she's continuing to yell so like every scene starts like way up here and it's got nowhere to go like mm-hmm. it's just flat it ends with screaming. a door being slammed yeah or or rob zombie's signature move of like cutting out the sound and doing weird cuts <laughs> I mean, I like it. I do too. Good. Yes. <laughs> At least we can agree on that. Okay. So, what's the what's what's your opinion on Mom with a White Horse? Oh boy. You like it? You hate it? I don't know, <laughs> John. I don't even know how to unpack it. I don't know. Unfortunately, I think it's too much inside Michael's head, and the line delivery that we get from Sherry Moon Zombie is filtered through Michael. But because it's a movie, we maybe don't necessarily, like, I think we all know Sherry Moon Zombie is not there. She's not in the scene. It's all inside Michael's head. But even the words that we're hearing are from inside Michael's head. Mm-hmm. And so it has that sort of, like, remo- and it's also, removed quality. It's also the child, Michael. Like, it's yeah. A, it's, it's the visions of a 12-year-old boy. Yes. And I, I don't think it does Sherry Moon Zombie any favors. It does not do Sherry no. Moon Zombie any favors. But, I, you know, it's, I love the visual of it. I <laughs> I love how it looks. Even her crazy eyes, I think, are okay. Like, and she, like, really has them. Like, she really, really head tilt, full eyes wide open, never blinking. I love you, Michael. Like, it's it's there. And I, I dig it. I, I also especially love that little Michael is there, too. Like, little Michael is always standing in front of big Michael in those scenes. I think that's rad. Yeah. <laughs> the casting, though... They tried using that original kid. I read that, but uh, which that's that hurts. Unfortunately, the first child Michael in in Halloween two thousand seven is just such a well cast kid and has such a unique look and those like crazy sunken eyes. Yeah, and still like such an innocent look. And the second Halloween Michael is just a kid. Yeah, we want kids with nutritional deficiencies. Yeah, God damn it. he needed more anemia. <laughs> <laughs> You know, they needed that Irishman technology. They should have made this movie in 2020. <laughs> and you're just like, we'll cast whoever the fuck we want, and we'll just, like, make them look 20 or years younger. if they couldn't get the kid, they should have just had the kid in the clown mask the whole time. That would have worked. That would have been totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. He's a vision. Yeah, who gives a shit? <laughs> like, unbelievable, this kid wore a clown mask in this whole Halloween movie. I don't fucking buy it. Yeah, I don't know about the visions. I really don't know, John. I dug them. 
I'm trying to like separate my expectation from the delivery of this film because this is Rob Zombie's Halloween. This is his creative take. He's not tied to the plot of a remake because this is his own course. Like he's he's veering off into new territory. This is a Laurie that we haven't seen before. This is a Loomis we haven't seen before. This is an Annie who survived that we haven't seen before. And this is a different Michael. And this Michael sees his deceased mother with a white horse. It really discounts Judith, I will say. Judith is not part of his little family at all. No, though the mom was the center of his world. I know. It's just it's just interesting. It's a psychology thing. Like, they even explain the white horse at the beginning of the movie. In the director's cut. Is that not in the theatrical? No, it's not. Oh, that's great, because I also don't remember seeing it ever before. We're, John's talking about the psychiatry scene with Margot Kidder, and she's got, like, an ink blot on her wall. Oh. And, uh... Were you talking about something else? Yeah, there's there's like a like an opening text at the very beginning of the movie that oh, explains I... the meaning of a white horse in dreams. Oh, I... <laughs> what was it? Sorry, I don't remember opening text ever. <laughs> the idea was that the white horse represents the body's desire to carry out or diffuse anger. It's like the it's the internal struggle of somebody who is trying to suppress the the desire to explode, right? And I think that's why we usually have mom showing up with a horse and guiding Michael somewhere where he just fucking destroys people. And then on top of that, we have Lori, who's kind of in the same boat. Like, she is not getting any answers from her psychiatrist. Nothing is working. No amount of medication, no amount of breathing, no amount of just, like, living her life however the fuck she wants is working. Like, there is just this explosive energy inside of her, and it needs to go somewhere. I think that's where my biggest issue of the movie lies, in that we're trying to explore the actual trauma of a victim who's gone through this scenario, like we see Annie and Lori really struggling with what happened to them. But then it's also trying to paint this nature versus nurture, fated to be this thing plot that Lori is descending into the same chaos that reigns in Michael. So they're almost like coming together toward the end of the film where she... It's almost trying to say that she is the same as him and she yeah. has the same psychopathy for for lack of a more, I don't know, the the, the visions. Because the, she starts seeing the exact same stuff and they have these like shared dream sequences. Yeah, I'm never a big fan of shared dream sequences. <laughs> so I think one plot line discredits the other. But they're both lost in the wilderness, right? Like he... He's actually out in the woods in the middle of nowhere, and she is surrounding herself with people and, like, you know, a comfortable surrounding, but she's still lost inside of it. But to make her ambiguously good versus evil at the end of the movie discredits the journey of a victim. Is it ambiguous? Because here are the two. Here are the two scenarios. Like you've got the, the direct- whole movie is ambiguous. <laughs> <laughs> the, you've got the director's cut and the theatrical cut. But I mean, like, like really, when you sum it up, either, either Laurie completely descends into madness as her brother did, or she is at the very least institutionalized because she's reached. She, because she's still in this like inner turmoil battle where she's trying to suppress that. That rage, that, in, that insanity, like she's constantly trying to fight for her own sanity. Mm-hmm. Or she gives into it. Or, in the director's cut, she's dead. Yeah, because there's like a really weird shootout situation, which 
the movie's really trying to culminate. And it's really trying to... The, the white horse and the undead mother are really pulling us towards something because baby Michael keeps asking like now she's like not yet baby Michael not yet and he's like now and he's like no not yet baby Michael and then at the end she's like okay now <laughs> okay baby now I know I just I also don't really love that it doesn't then, it doesn't feel like it leads up to like a some gigantic shootout it just feels like we're in a rant another random scenario in the movie decided to end like does the, the cops are all there but we're also in this cabin and and Lori can see these these hallucinations and Michael can see these hallucinations and they're all just standing around so that that, that is always something that's tough with characters who are going through something that only they experience right because what was the goal <laughs> because like it feels colossal to them like it's it's that same sort of schizophrenic mindset where this is monumental and this is big and this is everything we've been working toward and it's profound but to everybody else around it's like nah you're just like holed up in a shed somewhere and there's a bunch of cops around you and yeah. you killed a lot of people and then Lewis <laughs> is like nobody's holding it down Lori and she's like yeah what 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 and it's just and I feel like the audience in that moment when there's no when, when they they show Lori and she's struggling against nothing and I'm like I told you Rob Zombie has come out and said that she dies at the end of this movie. That's good. And that, <laughs> and that, <laughs> and that's the scene where she is sitting in a bed in a sort of institution, and her mom shows up with the white horse is actually just like her what she's seeing before she dies. Mm. So it's not that she is actually in a hospital somewhere. Well, that makes that makes a lot more sense to me because the goal of this this white horse mommy scenario is reuniting the family. Yes. And so that makes so much sense because now they're all reunited in death. Yes, agreed. All right, perfect. Done. And like the thing is that made sense. <laughs> that scene is in the theatrical version, but it doesn't show Laura getting shot. In the theatrical version, Dr. Loomis comes into the shed. Michael kills Loomis, and then Laurie, or like, there's some sort of struggle. Unfortunately, we, we watched the director's cut, so like now I'm trying to go off memory. Um, there's some sort of struggle. The point is, like, Laurie and Michael are responsible for Dr. Loomis's death. Laurie kills Michael. She comes out of the shed. She's wearing the clown mask, and then we cut to the asylum, quote unquote. Oh, yeah. So it's much more of like a Halloween four style ending with um, Scout Taylor Compton in the in place of Daniel Harris, essentially. Which feels like a like almost like a fan servicey type ending, like a callback to the franchise that we're sort of trying to move away from. Which I I, I can see why they don't necessarily love it. But I, on the other hand, the director's cut not great. Like it, Michael and Loomis bust through the shed, are in a fight. Michael screams, "Die!" and stabs yeah. Loomis before the cops shoot him down. I mean, I guess they were dropping the seeds for that nugget in the kill of the hillbillies when he's on their property with the truck with the antlers on it. When he kills the one guy, he is really grunting. Michael, he's like, ugh, ugh, ugh. And you're like, Michael, this is unbecouth. This is not you. I fucking love that seed. He like, he cut that guy across the eyes? That was a... That's rough. Yeah. And then impales that dude on his truck, his weird hillbilly deer antler fender truck. But yeah, it was definitely setting up for a Michael who could talk. Yeah, I don't know. Like it's it's like it's not like it's like a golden rule. Like I'll fucking watch a Friday the Thirteenth movie where Jason talks. I kind of don't really care. That would be really weird. It'd be super weird. It's just as weird as seeing Michael talk. But he's capable of it, you know. The kills are unjustified. They look great, though. Oh boy, do they look great! But so like the first friend, 
Why does she get murdered? No idea. I think that's where the movie starts to just fall apart for me because, I, and I said to you, I was like, if he shows up at Annie's house right now, I'm going to be fucking pissed. And then, oh boy. Why did he go to that party to not even see Lori and follow her home? It doesn't make sense. It could have just as easily been a reshoot. But Ugh. it's the first introduction of, and they do this more than once in this movie, where Michael shows up out of nowhere. It's so great because, like, he just, like. He's huge. Kid's taking a piss and then, bam, he's there. He's got him. He's stabbing him. She, he's down for the count. The, the cop is looking around Annie's house and then like, ha-ha, from, from behind a tree that could not hide him. He's there. <laughs> it was pretty good. He was way too big for that tree. My favorite was the was a nightmare that Lori was having, which makes sense in a nightmare where she's kind of just standing there by herself. And then, boom, he's behind her and he's got her. Uh, it's great. It's, it's awesome. It's just like a fun bit of editing where like he shows up like an apparition and, and, and grabs her. It also yeah. happens when when Lori's breaking away at the end, and she's on the road, and they flip the car or whatever. Yeah. The poor unfortunate soul who stops to help her, Michael comes up again out of nowhere in an open road. I dig it. Yeah. <laughs> if it was fucking Jason, it'd be no problem. Once or twice. You do it, like, if it's your only move. <laughs> You're right. Okay. <laughs> uh, also a completely different franchise. It's not like they are all working by the same rules. <laughs> so, like, I, I don't know why I brought it up. Yeah, I uh, I like it. I don't think it's I I don't think it's incredible, but uh, I it's I, definitely not a movie you should be breaking down though. Like I feel like this um, yeah. this whole half hour was a mistake. <laughs> it's it, it feels like a good practice run for Lords of Salem, where it's just like so. How do we get into like some weird trippy sort of like Roman Polanski s visuals and you know? Yeah, I do want to touch on. There's one visual in this movie that. Is fucking nutters. Is it when like we're in like black and white silent film? Yes, and yeah. there's the final supper Halloween version yeah. with these like traditional gourds and stuff, and it's like this little like medieval pumpkin evil dinner party, like, and Lori is for dinner. Like yeah. it's, it's fucking lovely. It looks like a deleted scene from Haxon, right? I fucking enjoy it immensely. We but got it's the like, Michael Myers mask on top of this weird ass skeleton that's sort of like looming over the dinner. Yeah. 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 Great. Wonderful. And 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 that and maybe that's the problem too is because it's it's all of these music video style elements that I think is a point of contention among Rob Zombie uh, haters, for lack of a better term, because all of the White Horse Sherry Moon Zombie stuff, it's Living Dead Girl. Sure. We're just watching elements of his music video feed into like an iconic slasher that doesn't have any of these elements at all ever. Yeah, but this is Rob Zombie's Halloween. Hell yeah. And Rob Zombie's Halloween has Living Dead Girl. <laughs> I'm here for it. I think I th- those visuals are great. I love them. And unfortunately, like the more I talk about them, the more I'm like, wow, I don't know. Like there's <laughs> there's not a whole lot of answers here. I love how they look. I love how they feel. I love where they come. The, the lighting in the movie is is rad. Um, the Halloween costumes and the Halloween parties dope, and we have a dead character coming back to be a like a master of ceremonies, which is weird, right? But gets you to know. play two people, it's great. <laughs> Man, he gets his head smashed in; it looks fucking great. <sighs> but yeah, you know, it's not a perfect movie. I get it. Whatever. It's pretty weird. It's very weird. I love its weirdest stuff. I love its weirdest stuff, and I love its like nastiest stuff. But I just don't know that it really has. The beats of of a story. Yeah, it's it's not a movie where yeah. it needs to be a movie in terms yeah. of like making sure your audience knows the right information when they're supposed to know it and before things are revealed and also, you know, climbing the stairs and then dropping down. Ah, uh, the tyranny of narrative. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's it's one of those things where I'm I'm constantly up against it. It's just like I love it when it breaks all the rules, and then you know, unfortunately, maybe it's just because it doesn't break enough. Like I think it needed to be weird. I think it broke too many, John. Nah, I think it needs to be like free form, <laughs> single take, one shot. <laughs> like I don't know. You know what? Uh, I I was actually thinking we were talking about it. How in the end of the original ending of this film how there's kind of that reference to Halloween 4 with the Daniel yeah. Harris stuff. It would be a very different movie, but it would be very fucking cool if Rob Zombie kept retained the self-referential stuff mm-hmm. in almost a Dave Lynchian way that Michael was haunted by the commercialism of Mike Myers in that he was this iconic character that lived for 20 years and he's just trying to be a psychopath killing and and successfully kill Laurie Strode. <laughs> And there's this weird <laughs> David Lynchian universe where all of these characters and Daniel Harris is haunted by the fact that she is Mike Myers' little like cousin when she's not in okay. this version. And, yeah. and Laurie Strode is haunted by the fact that Annie is actually dead, even though she's not dead. And that's not Annie. And like, come on, man. <laughs> well, yeah, you're talking my language, but like it's I'm trying. Pretty fucking cool. I'm, I'm trying to find a way to respond without being like, ah, oh, yeah, if they were all tulpas of their characters from previous films, like without <laughs> without making people immediately turn this podcast off. So I'll just say like, yeah, that's interesting. I would I would have been into that. Wouldn't that be cool though? Of course it would be cool. You're talking to the guy who wa- who who really wants that. <laughs> the one guy who really wants to see that. I mean, if we're going to go haunted by the and visuals of white horses and stuff, it would be really fucking cool if Rob Zombie's Halloween is haunted by all the Halloweens that came before it. And that directly relates to the director and the tall task of creating that remake, and you put it in the remake? I'm into it. It'd be fucking a nightmare to understand why you watched it though. oh yeah no it's not it's gonna get panned like no one no one's gonna like it what the it. fuck is this scrapbook garbage yeah why did we need a meta michael i don't know some idiots over here in canada said it was great but they're the only ones okay i think we're about ready to see the rotten tomatoes rating oh right right right, right. For, for before we get into our ratings of halloween 2 for the devil's rejects okay while you're looking it up, I'm just going to go out there and say that... What did I say? Um, I think you gave it... 70-something. Yeah. And you gave it... 86 is what I said. 54%. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Devil's Rejects. Wow. 54%. What's the audience score? 78. Okay. So I was closest. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's wow. surprising. Really? We were barely correct on it being over 50. Wow. I thought that was like a genuine, like a, you know, you know what? I thought we all loved it. It's a pretty nasty bit of business. Like it's, 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 <laughs> yeah. it's, it's got people getting their faces cut off. Like people being tortured. It <laughs> is pretty Don't brutal. deserve it. Like there's, the average viewer is probably not into it. If it said directed by Quentin Tarantino, everybody wouldn't like cinema verite. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's surprising. Yeah. It's like. A-plus American cinema. Fuck. Anyway. Okay. So ratings of Halloween 2. Yeah. I'm just going to go out there and just say that I'm giving it a 2.5 out of 4. Because, yeah. like, which I, I, really expect, cool, I really expected you to blow up over. But, yeah, like, I think, uh, I, think I, I like it. I know it's got its faults, but I, I dig what it's doing. Yeah, I'm going to give it a 1.5 out of 4. <laughs> wow. Okay. Let me speak. <laughs> I don't hate it, but I just feel... 
like we're exploring what Rob Zombie's sequel means to him as we're watching it. Sure. And I feel like we're working through the themes on screen, which is never where you should be figuring out what your movie means. You know what Mm. I mean? It just feels like we're exploring a lot of ideas, but they're still in the idea stage. I don't know. That's totally just, that's that's totally fine. Like that's, I do really like Loomis. Yeah, <laughs> I think Dick I'm, Loomis is the best Loomis. I'm glad I knew you would. Man, I I, I <laughs> honestly, Weathers Loomis. <laughs> I can't get over how good the opening of this movie is, and I'm so so surprised you don't like it. But that's a that's okay. You know what else I really like? Because I uh, I like, just don't like when things get canceled. The whole like the whole beginning of this movie could be just fast like. forwarded through oh. because it doesn't mean anything. Don't tell me something's a dream 20 minutes into it. (laughs) Normally, I would agree with you. For some reason, I buy it this time. And knowing that it's a dream, because it's been a little while since I've rewatched it, um, I couldn't help but notice that um, that Muddy Waters song. Fuck, what is it called? I can't remember the name of it, but there's a song that's playing on the TV. And, like, the biggest line that keeps getting repeated uh, is is part of the chorus where he keeps saying, like, but I love you, I love you. It's a really weird, haunting song, and it's it plays more than once. It plays on her TV when she's waking up in the hospital bed. It's also playing on again when she's in the Night Watchman's, like, uh, little, little security little, booth. Yeah, little security booth. And it's, it's great because it's, like, it's like Michael Myers singing to her. Like, he loves her. He's coming to get her, but it's just not working out. <laughs> anyway. Ah, uh, unrequited love. Unre- unrequited familial love. <laughs> we gotta stress that. But yeah, that's just our opinion, though. Uh, it's definitely just my opinion. Like, <laughs> that's I just know, John's opinion, though. <laughs> I know. I know people really don't like this one. I think the large majority of people are probably with you. I, I would love to hear what you guys think of both of these movies, especially Halloween 1. Like, I think if it's been a little while since you've rewatched it, I highly encourage you to check it out again. I was amazed at some of the ratings that we were getting and some of the impressions I saw from people I know on Letterboxd, but I get it. Hit us up on Twitter at NOFS Podcast. On Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash Nightmare on Film Street. In the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Horror Fiends of NOFS. And of course, on Discord. Fastest way to get there if you're unfamiliar with Discord. NOFSpodcast.com slash Discord. If you enjoy Nightmare on Film Street and you want more, head to nofspodcast.com slash fiendclub. We have a super exclusive, super special club, and you can unlock bonus episodes, content, swag, shoutouts, and tons more just for supporting the show. We are independently operated, produced, recorded, and your donations support not only John and I, but our 30-plus contributors at nofspodcast.com. So if you're a listener of the show and a big fan, Join us at the Fiend Club at nofspodcast.com slash fiendclub. As always, you can support the show for free right now by recommending it to a friend that just loves horror movies. Uh, Or likes horror movies casually. Casually, of course. And biggest thing you can ever do for us, please, is leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get the show in front of more fiends like yourself and grow the horde. But until next time, I'm Kim. I'm John. Stay Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive. But we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website at nofspodcast.com. And while you're at it, 
Check out all of the other spine-tingling shows on the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.